Welcome to the Crystal Conversations podcast, where conversations of growth and resiliency, faith and falling meet your day-to-day challenges in authentic stories of the struggle, each equipping and encouraging you to own the value of your journey. Thank you for joining this Crystal Conversation. Hey there, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you know, I love my guests. I try to keep them as different and unique, but equally inspiring and impactful. And so today's guest has a special place in my heart because you only find the people who radiate joy, who radiate encouragement every so often. You walk into a crowded room and you're like, man, I need to know her. Well, I had the opportunity to meet her through a friend, and I didn't even get to walk into that crowded room. We had to talk on the phone. And from that moment forward, I knew she was someone who just naturally poured into others, who was ready to step into an organization, step into a project, and make a difference. So it's no wonder that she has the roles that she does, because it is in her, every fiber of her being that just radiates, I want you to be great. And so it is my honor and privilege to introduce Holly McElwain to the Crystal Conversations podcast. Holly, welcome. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so glad to be here. And that was such a warm introduction. All I can say is it just flies right back at you. Good people attract good people. And I think it was love at first voice. Isn't it funny? You can tell by someone's voice if they are invested or they're, they're sort of just there because they have to be. Oh my gosh. Or open to connecting with another human being. Like it is phenomenal when a human being genuinely connects with another human being, the best things happen. Well, it's powerful. I mean, I guess when I think of the power of relationships, relationships don't have to be an everyday exchange. They don't even, like I have girlfriends that I might see once every four to six years. And it's like, you just pick up, you check, and you know that in that blank space, whether it's three minutes or three years, that that person just wants your best interest at heart. Like genuinely and wholeheartedly, they are for you. It's rare to find that in business because I think that, you know, especially with women, we forge friendships and we forge relationships based on similar state in life, similar location, similar struggle. And to cross business and industry like you and I have and and have these genuine connections, I I know that it, it makes me better. And I know that it makes me a little bit braver. And I I think that you know, we've had great experiences because we're open, but I don't know that it's a universal principle. I don't see this everywhere. I agree. I think, I don't, I know that I have not been vulnerable and open my entire adult life thus far. I mean, that was sort of a process I hit in my early thirties, early to mid thirties, where I started to think, there might be something to not trying to be perfect all the time, to not trying to pretend that I have it all together, to not be so strong in my own self that I can't ask for help. Like that was sort of a a maturing place that I reached. (laughs) I feel like it's the lesson I have to keep learning every so many years. And, you know, this, this perfection and achievement orientation that we do see with a lot of women is, is, you know, it's something that we should celebrate because we do get things done really well, but the, the, the cost to our relationships and our, any, our relationship with ourself sometimes as a result of that achievement orientation can be really difficult. And I'm thinking, you know, when I was in my twenties, I had a job that was a little too big for me, you know, that was, was pretty important that I saw as very valuable to the world. And I was very focused on doing more when in doubt, do more. And I, you know, I took such pride in this work and I owned it that it was, it was all mine. And I used the word my a lot when I thought about the work ahead. And 
I learned the lesson that we're talking about, that asking for help lesson the hard way when I got cancer and I had to ask for help to keep the ball rolling. And I had to ask for help to get through life and get through the day. And you would think that I would be smart enough at this point, Crystal, to not need to relearn that. But it's, if I'm being honest, which I know you're making me be very honest today, because that's the whole point of the conversation. If I'm being honest, I have to learn that lesson again and again and again. And I don't know about you, but do you ever feel guilty when you have to ask for help? I mean, I do. <laughs> I try not to be apologetic, but it it's almost that hesitation coming out as an apology. Like, hey, I'm sorry, but could you? And it's not necessary. I mean, most most folks feel good if they get to help somebody. Like they are being given a gift by the opportunity to help out and make a difference in someone's life. Like it fills us when we can make a difference. But yet this this pride that we that we gird ourselves all over with is I'm sorry, but I have to ask, would you mind? And we're, we're so timid about it when in every other area, we're so strong. Oh, a hundred percent. Or like, you know, I'm thinking of a recent example. Um, you know, I have a little boy that goes to kindergarten and his school pickup from kindergarten is smack in the middle of my afternoon. And I literally have to schedule, leave work, go pick him up, come back, try to pick up and close out my day. And one of the moms at his school saw me struggling, you know, running up to the pickup line and high heels and on the phone. She reached out to me and said, you know, I see, I see you trying to do everything. And I'm going to, you know, invite your son over after school one day a week and just get him out of your hair so that you can get some work done. And it's helpful to me. Oh, I mean, amazing. I will share Crystal that that act allowed a friendship to start. And she, as a result, reached out to me again and said, okay, now I'm going to bring him home a couple of days a week for you because it, it's great for me to drive and just be able to, you know, be in one spot and only, you know, being asked for things from the backseat instead of from all directions. But I, I really, I, I know you need this help and you're not going to ask for it. And she had to ask me three times before I finally said yes. And I mean, that's an example. I'm 40 years old. And I've been struggling with this for 20 years, allowing people to help me and having the courage to ask for help. Uh, there's power, again, women relationships, there's power. We see things and, and we can change things. That's so, I mean, I know that you are pro-connection on so many different, different areas, but, but I hear you learning the lesson the hard way of having to ask for help can be it can kind of interrupt the process. Like you had your diagnosis, like I had my diagnosis right after I got out of the military and it lasted 10 years. 10 years I went from a perfectionist who wanted her pencils ordered from largest to smallest <laughs> to the person who couldn't barely stand to get from the couch to the bathroom or the kitchen. And it was, it was frustrating and it was, it was as though everything I had built my life upon went crumbling down and I had to redefine all of the meanings and it shouldn't be that way now as we say like later we're looking back and we're like it wasn't that bad these people have an opportunity to be gifting us with help and us with them help but yet we still struggle there's still this illusion that somehow by asking for help isn't a benefit. But you and I both know and stand on the principle that connection, which is how we help one another, <laughs> is actually the most valuable thing, but it stays hidden as sort of this guised weakness. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, can, I can name my own demon right here is that imposter syndrome is always somewhere in my mind that, you know, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm so blessed to be working in the field that I'm working in and have the roles that I have that sometimes I pinch myself because I am waiting for someone to realize that I shouldn't be in the leadership seat. You know, I'm waiting for someone to discover that I'm a fraud and a phony. And, you know, for me, 
that that's imposter syndrome because if I'm talking to you, you're going to tell me, Holly, you're full of it. Like you are where you're supposed to be because of this and this and this, and just provide me with real evidence. My boss does it all the time, but inside I'm afraid that if I ask for help, someone is going to discover that I'm not enough mm-hmm. and my whole world, the whole house of cards crumbles down. And I think for high achievers, we have to battle that. And the only way that I know how to battle it is by saying it out loud to people like you and to the people that are listening so that they have the courage to take that next brave step and, and acknowledge it in themselves and overcome that lie. Cause the only way that we overcome lies is by telling the truth. And the truth is that we're enough. We're never going to be perfect, but we're enough. And that's, that's important. I think it's, it's, it's in, encouraging to hear because some listeners may have never been told that it's okay to feel those feelings inside, to, to recognize that there's, there's sort of that heart flutter or that stomach nausea that's like, oh, I don't know if I can step into this space or into this role or into this project. But the reality is there has been enough tangible, logical things that this, this version of enough in our head is an illusion. The reality is we've actually added value up until this point that allows us to stand right where we are, not because we're completely all-knowing, but because we have enough that we're able to learn the next thing, that we're able to grow into the next pair of shoes. Yes. And for women who've had children, we will be growing into larger shoes for the rest of our lives. Let's just be honest about that. So, you know, there's an axiom that I have carried with me for the past 15 years, and it comes up about once a day. And the axiom is (laughs) talent beats, wait, reverse. I'm already saying wrong. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And if you are a comparison junkie, like I know so many of us are scrolling and checking out who is doing what and how they're doing it better than me. And what is, you know, what exists in their space that I don't have this axiom really should, should register that hard work beats that talent when talent doesn't work hard. And what that has opened up for me is this realization that I am not ever going to be 100% perfect at all things at all times to all people. What? (laughs) It's paramount. (laughs) I think it's in the Bible about that somewhere too, you know, that we are not supposed to be that, but somehow we just tell ourselves we have to be all of these things at this high level. But the reality is, is that we are granted a day at a time to do the next brave thing, to give with our whole self to give our, our life authentically to those around us in the, in the measure that is needed at the moment. And that measure might not be everything. It might be just a little bit. And so having the capacity to work hard and give a little bit more of yourself and that desire that actually beats that idea of perfection. And so I I get a lot of um, comfort from that axiom. And that's probably why it's in my head at least once a day. And it's why you show up every day where sometimes if you don't recognize that, and you've seen proof in the pudding, essentially, that if you show up every day, multiple variables are influenced. Like (laughs) if you feed your child every day, he will continue, like the kids will continue to grow. If you buy new shoes. Yes, exactly. Every couple of months, I have a kindergartner myself and he is a giant. And I just, I realize that I don't have to be everything. Um, and sometimes my husband reminds me that, which is really helpful. Absolutely. Um, but what we realize is by showing up, by making strides, in a direction, like those, those individual choices, those individual moments, like you chose to show up here. 
we don't know what the end of the recording will say, but we knew we started. <laughs> and you chose to get dressed, to get everyone fed, to do the things that you needed to do. And by doing those things repeatedly, exponential things are produced down the line that we cannot predict. And that, that matters because you show up. And by showing up in the way that you choose to show up leaves an impact. And that's what I've seen is you show up with intention, with authenticity, with expectation that results are going to be achieved. And then it's, how do we get them? Absolutely. It's, it's such a real thing. And you know, the, the way that God created the human body and the brain is pretty phenomenal. I don't know if you noticed, but you know, there's this, there's this thing that happens inside your brain when you consistently choose a certain course of action the synapses in the brain fire effectively and efficiently when that consistent choice is made. That's why habits really come as a result of repetitive action for a period of time. And so when, you know, one of the things that causes change, and, you know, I kind of talked about this, this transition from not being willing to ask for help to being open to asking for help. We're not jumping on the boat for it, but we are open to it. Well, it's because when we make these choices to accept help, a positive reaction is happening inside of our brain. And so we're actually starting to train our brain to, instead of immediately look away from options of someone helping us to being open to, and eventually we can train our brain to identify areas to ask for, for help, not because we're weak, but because we wanna help someone become stronger. Yes, our brain believes or begins to believe what we tell it to. Um, it also knows what's false. If we tell ourselves that we're a purple unicorn with orange wings, like it will, it will invalidate that. However, as you said, if there is a, a positive or an affirming correlation, there's a strength to that belief. And the repeating of that belief brings strength to movement in that direction. And so we're able to make change. Now, you have a bunch of different roles, but they all sort of overlap. Tell the listeners a little bit about some of the balls that you juggle. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that you use the word um, juggle referring to balls. And I will start with saying we all juggle a lot of balls. Some of them are glass and, and most of them are not. And I, I, in order for me to successfully navigate the balls that are up in the air, I keep my eye on the glass ones. The glass balls are the people in my household, the people that look to me every day at the dinner table and that I, I live with and choose to have a life with. And that's one of the glass balls. And the second glass ball is health. Um, my, my physical well-being is something that money cannot buy. And so those are the two glass balls that I, I have amidst the, the several roles. And I'll tell you about one of the most exciting roles. It's the one I don't get paid for. Um, it's the, the, I'm the founder of something called the Brave Women Project. And it's a community of women. It's a membership-based organization that is specifically designed for professional women like you and I. We, we work, we take care of our families. We try to take care of ourselves. We try to take care of our community and, and be part of this. And we're in a constant space of engagement and encouragement and evolution. And we're working to empower each other and become better through education. And so I created this organization because I wanted to have a place for professional women to do one brave thing every day in community. And so we meet a couple times a month virtually and a couple times a year annually um, with, in, in real life and in person. We're all over the US and um, I'm proud of this organization because it was a, a real fruit of the reception of help of people coming around me. And that is why this ex organization exists. Um, setting me up for that is, is my two other roles. Um, I have a mentor, her name's Tina Winner. She's the founder of Winner Partners, a, a retained executive search firm. And I've, I've looked up to her my whole adult life and she's just been a, a terrific friend and mentor to me. When I navigate career changes, she's the person I talk to. And so she started a firm right when I left my 15-year career in the nonprofit field, and I wasn't quite ready to join her firm. I didn't have the experience, the teeth. I had not been beaten up enough, and I, uh, I just was not 
at the level that she deserved. And she would have taken me then. But um, I, I worked for a firm for a while and I got a little bit beaten up and I saw things that wanted that I really wanted to change about the industry. And so I, I went into a meeting on a Tuesday morning and I walked out of the meeting without a job, without a budget, without a company credit card and with a lot of boxes in my car. And I called her on the way home and she was thrilled that I had just gotten fired and invited me to come and work at the firm. And so by two o'clock that afternoon, my computer was set up and I was already activated working at this firm that I was just so overjoyed. Within a couple of months, I landed a, a terrific space on their leadership team as a partner and worked my tail off and gave so much of my heart to the work in the firm and, and learning from her and, and the other managing partner that um, I've retained a, a leadership position in the firm ever since. But I also know about myself that I have a hard time turning off. And so being in, in a firm like that, where everything you do is directly contributing to your household budget, to the success of the firm and to the people's lives we were changing, I, I knew I needed to have some kind of a benchmark where I, I knew I'd achieved something and I could turn off at the end of the day. And so I, I received a, a great opportunity at my alma mater and took a, a position in talent management that turned into a, a bigger position. I am now the director of human resources and talent management for Division Four University and leading our organization in the dignity of human life and the dignity of workers. Because at the end of the day, if we're not living our values and acknowledging that every single person has worth and their life is more important than whatever job they've signed on to do. Um, I, I, I maybe won't always be liked or welcomed there after I say this, but I believe that we will do better as a university if the people we serve are serving with a, a wholeness and not out of just a, a bunch of burnout and lack. So I do a few things, yeah. <laughs> I think that's so important though, because what you're doing aligns with the values that you've put forward. As you said, there's, there's glass balls and then there's plastic and rubber and all the other mediums, but you know where your glass balls and where your focus is. But just because you have those things as priority doesn't mean that you can't serve and do a great job within organizations or missions such as the Brave New Women uh, project and or group. And so the way that you, you set up your life, there's still a foundation and you're, you're pouring into, and you're just really spreading that message into these organizations that we're not just hiring someone and allocating a budget and expecting a role to be done. This person, has other factors in their life. And we wanna make the best use of their giftings as well as what they're physically, mentally able to give. I think that empathy comes when you recognize that your health isn't always there and your family doesn't always function the way you want, like, and you decide to do something about it. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are afraid to acknowledge those things. And they think that there's only one way to be successful in life and then and then in that they're missing out on the joy that comes from living and I I do Crystal I think it's my personal mission to allow people to acknowledge that joy is part of the way that we are created and we we can access that too even in hard times I agree I mean we're allowed to enjoy what we do. <laughs> we're allowed to have purpose in a variety of different things, but there's also the boundaries. I mean, most people will say you juggle balls. Not everyone will identify what they're made of. That reaffirms what I've seen in you is your ability to draw boundary lines. Your, your awareness that even if you had to learn the hard way, that there are ways that you can do things and ways that are completely non-negotiable that you just can't. Was that something you learned early on or was it sort of 
out of necessity? I would say uh, yes and yes. Um, you know, we learn a lot of survival tactics in our young, younger years in our youth. And I grew up in a, in a very um, well-intended family. Um, my dad was an immigrant, um, farmer, school teacher. My mom was a stay-at-home mom that really discovered ways to help the family and come through doing a lot of things. And I went everywhere with her and did every job she did that I could clean toilets, clean houses, selling corn on the side of the road in the back of a pickup truck. You know, I, hard work came at a very early age with me. Um, however, my parents had, you know, an experience when I was in middle school that challenged the way they were living and they became very focused on things that were very important to them. And as a result, I became a feral middle schooler that was more or less being raised by my siblings, boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, spouses, um, as my siblings pursued their careers and work. I, I was kind of in the midst of a, a really strange way to grow up. And so as a result, I knew that there was one way to get out of the situation I was in, and it was through working hard. And so in high school, as soon as someone would hire me, I got a job and I added another job on, and then I added another job on. And when I graduated from high school, I moved away. I never really moved back. I worked as much as I possibly could because I knew that was a pathway to create a stable environment for myself. And at the age of 24, I bought a house and created a life for myself that I could have stability with. As a result, I became free to go in and out of my, my family of origin and observe behaviors that did not align with what I knew to be true and how I knew I could be healthy. And so I began actually creating boundaries as a single 24-year-old working my tail off because I just had a desire for stability. And there were a lot of lonely holidays when I would have a distinct amount of time I would visit my family of origin and then leave because I, I there were things that I just could not allow myself to be subject to and, and really feel that I was going to become a better person as a result of that. So fast forward other work. You know, I've always been the kind of person that has had two or three professional roles. Um, I, I really do love giving of myself in that way. And I think that I'd be really bored if I just had a day job. I know that time is a boundary that aligns with our values. And so my method for understanding how to set up values and boundaries for myself is first looking at who I am as a person. And what are those values that I wake up and live and go to sleep at night reflecting on, knowing that I have given a, a good day? And so my values have dictated the boundaries that I live by. And what I found is that boundaries can be applied in personal relationships and professional relationships in our relationship with what we consume and food and entertainment and what we will tolerate and stress and pressure and what we will do professionally. And when the boundaries that we have align with our values, we are able to live a life with harmony and not worry about juggling the ball so much. It becomes more of a dance mm -hmm. and not something that's stress inducing. I agree. It's not, we shouldn't be running from this to that to this there there's as a core part of the way we were created the giftings that we have the experiences that that we walk through it creates a picture that we can align or we can make adjustments with and and sometimes we realize that things are not working for us that's where the adjustments come in <laughs> Listeners, I don't know if you found yourself asking questions, saying, what is it that's working? Why is this so hard? Why does this happen every time I engage with this behavior or this person? Um, there are things that we can make choices about that feel like we can't. Like the lie is we can't make a choice about it. Well, Holly, what I heard you share is just because you can make a choice doesn't mean it's not hard. Oh, and it's tempting to weaponize boundaries. You know, it's, that's what's so, so difficult as being a human being 
is everything that can be good can also be bad and harmful and hurtful. And so in the early days, I weaponized boundaries. I used this idea of boundaries as a weapon because I saw this power, which clearly I desired some control coming from such a, a, a childhood of, of chaos. I wanted control so badly that I became rigid and did not necessarily or gracefully or compassionately explain this is my boundary. And it's because A, B, and C is important to me. Yeah. I didn't go there. I didn't offer that compassion. I didn't offer that, that reason and measured response. I had a boundary. I lived it. I went back to my life. I was nice and safe in my little space. Growing a little older and wiser and more bruised, I've become a little bit more finessed at articulating boundaries in advance. And I, I think that's expectations, right? We all have them. We all walk around our life with expectations for every single interaction written in our heart. This barista at Starbucks, the, the person you run into in the grocery store, the person in front of you in line at McDonald's, you know, the, like the list goes on. Even you and I have expectations for each other. And the, the chaos becomes present when those expectations are not communicated and when the, the expectations are not met, then the conflict comes in because the needs are not being met and relationships are fractured. But when expectations are communicated in advance and committed to and dialogued and understood and agreed upon, then the boundaries created that allows for safe, healthy, fruitful connection. And if you don't know that that is what's missing, you don't know that that is what's missing. Are you listening in because you found yourself ready to grow, heal, and own the value of your own journey? Go deeper with this month's digital download, bringing you points of reflection, great quotes, homework challenges, and additional mental mile markers you can use to enhance the value of stories shared by our featured guests and personalize this growth-minded resiliency content in areas that mean the most to you. Check out the podcast notes for the link to purchase at this great introductory rate. Now back to our show. I think I appreciate that because there are so many times I speak into counseling or coaching sessions that the reason we're having an emotional response, mad, sad regret, is because an expectation was breached. <laughs> there was some, whether we knew it or not, expectation, that assumption that this is the way the world would function. And somehow, some person, place, or thing did not function as expected. And, and our feathers got ruffled and, and created a reaction. And it's not an opportunity, like you said, to sort of weaponize or, or lash out or even defend. It's an opportunity to learn more about ourselves, to become more aware of what opportunities are available, to articulate needs, to set priorities, to create daily rhythms that, that work for us and or that we can do to navigate people who don't care about our expectations or our needs or our values. They just function because we can't make someone else be a healthier adult or human being. We can't. I'm so glad you said that because I think, you know, as people go through this evolution of, of you know, values to boundaries to expectations, as these become part of your lexicon and not something that you're just hearing on this incredible podcast and walking away from, we're met with people who are at different stages in this journey. And one of the most important things that I could offer, which is a daily reminder to myself, is that, you know, we control what we can control, right? So in any relationship, I am responsible for how I treat you. I am not responsible for how you treat me. 
Yes. I'm responsible for how I treat you in the face of that, right? So you might treat me terribly and I would have every reason to respond and react and, you know, give you what you gave me, but I'm responsible for that. So in my life, in my world, in my space, in my home, in my work, I am responsible for how I treat you. And I have to be able to live with that. And it guides every interaction. It guides every conversation. It guides every difficult conflict resolution, <laughs> every coaching session, every conflict with my husband. I am responsible for how I treat you. You are responsible for how you treat me. That's it at the end of the day. I reflect on in those times of difficulty where I could react irresponsibly but I choose to react in love and and honor the person as a human who may not have all the facts or who may have other things going on I recognize that there are certain things that I will regret in life the the time missed or the other things that are not glass balls chosen like I will regret those and so I choose the things that I won't regret, that I choose, I make the choices that I'm never going to regret being kind to someone who is viciously angry or unkind or immature. I, I'm not going to regret saying kind, uplifting, encouraging, calm tone words. It's not something that I'm going to be upset about, but losing my temper and embracing my, my temporary emotions, those are the things that I'm going to chew on for a while and that I'm going to have to, because I know my character, go back with my tail between my legs and humble myself and apologize for my actions. Not because the disagreement, not because anyone was right or wrong, but for my actions. I don't like doing that. <laughs> so therefore, I choose what I will least regret. Yeah. Well, here's what's hard. The devil loves to lie, man. <laughs> and just because we're acting with love does not mean that we are being weak or becoming a doormat. Yes. Boundaries are critical there because we can act in love by maintaining and communicating boundaries consistently, compassionately communicating boundaries is the most loving thing we can do for someone. Again, and now I'm, I'm, you know, it's triggering some thoughts in my mind of things that, you know, I, I chew on, I take with me a little too long, not always the things that I say, but the, the reaction that I'm not responsible for from another person, the reaction that some people receive and, and, are experiencing is a better word, the reaction that some people are experiencing as a result of the boundary that I have laid, the truth I have spoken, the way that I've communicated, that reaction that sometimes comes back to us is not positive, not comfortable, not kind, not rooted in truth, very much rooted in emotion sometimes. Their emotion, their, it's their reality, but it, it sometimes is something that lingers. And I think it's, it's really important for your listeners, for you and I as just women to acknowledge that that is an emotional response that we are having to their emotional response. It's not our responsibility to carry that guilt. We might, we might beat ourselves up about it and think, what could we have done differently? And I think that when that happens, and it happens to all of us, allow a little bit of a playback just a little bit, not too much, where you, you reassess the situation. What was the conflict about? What's the problem? Because the problem is the problem. People are not the problem. The problem is the problem. And so what was the problem? Where, where did things go left? What did I say? What did I do? Was that rooted in truth? Was my intention pure? Were my actions good or righteous, right? Not, did I mean them to be good? Were they in fact good or righteous? Okay, flip side, what the other person, what, what was their intention? What did they mean? What did they say? Mm -hmm. 
what other factors are in their life? You know, we always try to give the other person a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. We care about their intention because we have the ability to release our frustration, our anger, our guilt. We can't release theirs towards us, but my goodness, do we have control over ourselves? So when someone is, is responding out of pain, out of frustration, out of stress, and they're not their best self, and we know that they are better than that, it's easier to release it. And that's where you have to be a grown up and decide, do I address this in a cooler time and say, this happened between us. I know that that is out of your character because you are good. You are true. You were honest. You were kind and compassionate. And our relationship matters to me. And so I want to understand a way that we can work together through this so that we both are representing our best selves. I'm saying it and it sounds easy to say. It is not easy to do. And so you do need to beat. <laughs> well, it's funny that you you walk us through that because the story is coming to mind and it, it really does exemplify how we don't have the opportunity to choose someone, but we do have to choose someone's actions or thoughts or behaviors, but we do have the opportunity to choose our own and how we engage or disengage with that. And so I was actually going to meet some other members of this counseling group that I'm with and I make a right-hand turn onto a double lane highway, um, two lanes on my side, two lanes on that side and a turning lane in the middle. So I make a right turn and the car behind me does the same. So we're driving down the two lanes on the left of the two lanes. I know a turn is coming up, a left-hand turn is coming up. So I'm watching and I go through the next light because I'm not making that turn. There's a do not make a left turn for the next entrance, so I don't do that. And as soon as that's passed, I turn on my turn signal and move over. Immediately, I hear honk as loud as possible and as long as I'm sure they deemed necessary. And I looked back and I'm like, huh, that's the same car that was way back at the intersection. So I know this person has already been behind me. So there's no reason they should be beside or in front of me for the route that we're taking. And so I continue on my way and I don't think much of it. And I make the left-hand turn that's appropriate in the lane that's appropriate because I'm very, like I'm, I'm very forward watching with a lot of my stuff. I'm an aerial thinker. <laughs> and so I go about my business and I turn in and I turn on my turn signal to go into the lane that I'm parking. And then I turn on my turn signal to back up into the spot that I'm going to park. And I sit down and I start reaching over and I look up and there is the car that's been behind me sitting in front of me, blocking my car. And it's this older gentleman giving me the look, making sure that we get eye contact to have the look. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I emphatically and joyfully waved at him <laughs> because I really... I, I had analyzed and thought through the situation on what were the intentions. More than likely, his intention was the fear had struck that two cars were about to collide and the anger arose. What if they would have collided, cost him money, cost him time, inconvenience his day and all of those things. And so at me, by the time I had parked and received the look, I had already worked through there was a concern for fear that reacted in a honk torn and the world is better now. Yes. But then yes. I, I had thought when I get out, is this man going to be there? Are we going to have further words? And so as I tell this story to my counseling group, they said, well, what would you have said? Like he sounded really bad still. I said, well, I'm a counselor. I would have asked him to explain how he was feeling, invite me into the reason for his anger and asked if I could get angry alongside him so that I could understand his intention. And they just started laughing like, Crystal, you are ridiculous. I said, honestly, I've been around enough emotional dysfunction that I don't have the energy nor the desire to engage in things that are not going to bring resolve or connection. I just, it's not welcome. So we can either connect, find a point of connection, or we could go our separate ways, but I don't need to be angry about it. Yeah. And you know, Crystal, what you articulate is like, I call it like a grab and go. 
It's someone who is grabbing at your emotional space, who's not going to be there for a long time, and then they're going to go away. And so you can inflame and then deflate quickly, or you can be unflapped and go on with your life. Unfortunately, some of those people live in our house and they're not grab and goes. They're all That's day, true. every day, or sometimes we work with them. And we all know people who don't have a, a strong control over their emotional reactions and outputs. And in that case, we can't just get away from them sometimes, but we can create boundaries and communicate those things clearly. And again, you know, my clients always, they always love it when I get on the boundaries topic because I am like a dog with a bone and I go back over and over again because it helps us in every area of life. But in those situations, when it's someone you work with or someone you live with or someone you have a consistent relationship with, there are a few things that we can actually do to preserve that space. And as a counselor, you, you, I'm sure you take people through this also, but acknowledge what is your boundary and why? Yes. Communicate when someone crosses a boundary as quickly and kindly and clearly as possible. Example, when you speak to me like that, I struggle to maintain calmness and hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to continue the conversation, let's use a little bit lower voice and please don't swear. It's a great way. If, if anyone has people in their life that like to use a lot of profanity and yell when they're working through something, a great way. You know, a tactic I use is lowering my voice when yes. I deliver that message. And my kids know that when mommy lowers her voice, all hell is about to break loose. <laughs> so you can actually train people on how to respond to you. And, and it's not so much a reaction anymore from them. It becomes a predictable response, which actually gives people freedom to experience things authentically and not get wound around the axle. And it's a, it's a great thing to do. So think about this. You know, I, I encourage your listeners think about the reality that consistently communicating your boundaries actually is compassionate because it frees people to become predicting and predictive of your behaviors. The more consistent we are, the more consistent people can become around us, but we have to have the courage to do the brave thing, to communicate the boundary consistently, calmly, and clearly. So I, I always try to find a balance because those of us, as you said, who have adopted that lexicon, who some of these words are very familiar, they're used, they're implemented, they make a lot of sense. But the person who is listening that is like, man, they are just so far above or beyond or not in touch with what I'm going through. I want to speak to them for a minute because I'm hearing a lot of very tangible real life ways that that they could begin implementing these boundaries without using such, a, such clear language. <laughs> they, as you said, when I hear, when I experience yelling, cussing, like it makes it difficult for me to maintain my emotional calm. And, and we need to find a different way. Like the invitation, the awareness and the invitation you also mentioned consistency, being able to say this every time it happens, not when, not just when you feel brave enough to like experience that awkward tension of speaking up for yourself. The actual tangible things like the slowing the pace of your voice, the lowering the volume of your voice, the checking your body language. Are you standing or flailing or crossed and closed or are you open and calm and maybe sitting with a squared off posture like how as you said when you observe this situation what can you see what can you do that is within your control sometimes we we don't have the bravery to say it aloud yet sometimes practicing writing it out what would you say if you had the courage to establish a boundary what would that feel like for you? So, so write it out, like write out the scenario. If you could say with clear and confident 
like non-cracking voice, what would it sound like to draw a boundary? And then what would that do inside of you? What might that other person experience in a positive way if they knew how you were feeling that you'd never been able to say before? And begin to walk through it, even in writing, because sometimes even writing it down could be really, really challenging and, and an opportunity to grow inside anyway. Crystal, that's such great advice. I, I, I give that to my that similar advice to my clients as well when we talk about the initiation of boundaries. And I always say, you know, think about every possible situation that would challenge that boundary. And then write down your response to that situation so that you have a cheat sheet that you can really go through. And I always ask them, you know, until you're ready, I give them two weeks usually, I want you to, to walk through the scenarios that press your boundary and go back to your notes and adjust it. Because if you're not confident that you have created the right boundaries for yourself, you're not going to be able to be consistent with it. And, and that's been helpful for them. And, and the other thing, which nobody is going to want to hear right now that sometimes I'm not going to swear on this. Sometimes we are going to use a better word. We are the jerks in the situation. Sometimes we are blinded by our intentions, by our experience, by our emotions. And we severely fracture relationships because we are so blinded that we feel that we are the victim. And Everyone goes through something crazy every now and then. And so first of all, give yourself a break. If you've noticed it, if it was you, if you, if you fudged things up, give yourself a break, respond with humility. Humility is not just saying that you're lower than everyone else. A humility is, is really seeing who you are and stepping into that. And that's the good and the bad and the ugly. And so when we fracture a relationship, very, very first to apologize. That is my, my absolute rule for myself is when I mess up, I'm quick to apologize. I'm, I'm quick to apologize. I'm slow to offer criticism. And so being quick to apologize is not being a doormat either. Acknowledge within yourself. What, what have I overstepped? What have I broken? What have I harmed? And if you get the same feedback from everyone in your life, it might be the right feedback. It might be true. If you only get feedback from one person and it's the person you have the most frequent conflict with, it's time to call Crystal and have a therapy session, right? Like the, the reality is, is that we, we all know that we're not perfect, but sometimes we don't have a perfect reflection to give us a clear look at who we are. And if we are going to create boundaries and, and consistently communicate them, that is one of the best things you can do for the people in your life and for yourself. But if you are going to maintain a space that you are perfect and everyone else has to live in the boundaries that you've created, you are in for a long, lonely life of battle. And that is not what life is about. Life is not a battlefield. Love is not a battlefield. I don't care what the song said. It's not meant to be like that. We were created to be in community. We are created to be with each other and for each other. And that involves apologies, that involves compassion, that involves boundaries. There was boundaries in the Bible in the first, first couple pages. We knew what we could and what we couldn't do. And why did we mess up? Because somebody said something and it wasn't fully true. Owning it, moving on. If God can forgive us for that, then we can forgive each other for the times that we step on each other's toes. Just don't drop a glass ball because those things are much harder to put back together. I so agree. And beautiful way to go full circle. You don't want to drop the glass balls. Your eyes are on them. They're important, but you are wife, mom, and businesswoman and nonprofit leader. <laughs> um, what are some of the daily rhythms that you know you wake up and this is how you roll? whether your openings, your closers of the day, what are some of those rhythms that you have found beneficial that may maybe a hint to someone else's day? Absolutely. Well, I, I have a long day. So I, I start the day before most people for between 4.30 and 5. My first two hours of the day are with my kids and getting them up and ready for school and giving them a good start and love. We don't yell in our house in the mornings. And if it happens, it's rare because I really try to have a morning 
I try to send my children into the world without anxiety. And so um, we very rarely will there be yelling. Um, that's important to me that they start like that. Once everyone in my household is gone, I, I do get a workout in because it helps me to connect with my body, to be appreciative for the gift that I have. And it helps me start my day with an investment that will pay forward. I, I, you know, I, I, I love my work and I, I think that everything that I do is rooted in serving people. And so as my family starts to get home during the day, um, we are, we are very together. We eat and we play. And after the, the kids kind of wind down the day, uh, we pray and, uh, every, you know, every night my, my kids and I have specific things that we pray together for, and that we each have our own routine but I know that that is an investment that roots us as a family. And so by, you know, having the three F's in our household, fun and faith and, and family and food, I guess that's the fourth F we, we really do try to build a, a, a world, a community in our home that will go forward. Um, my husband and I, uh, we, we met in a space that was unexpected and we fell in love with, you know, kind of God right, right there with us, literally at church, um, which we didn't expect. And so faith is a huge part of our relationship with each other. We always say we didn't, we didn't choose each other. We were chosen for each other and we found ourselves in God's will when we got married. And so our, our work to be supporters of each other professionally, to be um, advocates for each other personally, to be mirrors for each other, in our household, in our life, to give real feedback to each other. Um, it's not perfect and it's not always fun, but at least in, in my day, in my life, in those last balls that I'm with, that I carry, um, we're very clear about what our purpose is and what our responsibility to each other is. And that's, that's my day. My day is built around the glass balls. It's encouraging to hear because I know so many out there are feeling the pressure to choose, the pressure to choose what it is that they will focus on. And it's not about what it is that they will focus on. It's more about how they will focus on each piece because even within the households, there's fun and there's faith and then there's food and there's the family time. Like there's not, we are only, a family of faith and we shall pray and we shall worship and we shall conduct ourselves in a righteous manner. <laughs> like that's not, that's not the thing or being business focused. We must be productive and orderly and make the money and achieve the margins and hit the next KPI. Like, no, there's a balance in how we approach it. And it, it sounds as though with the alignment of who God has created you, your husband, and now your children to be understanding that a big part of your day navigation, because we all have that same 168 hours in a week, is to start your day with those, the priorities, release into the individual needs, and then come back together and close the day in a healthy and joined way. And that's I think that's something that many of our listeners will be reassured that it doesn't have to look the same. You simply have to navigate and set up the day aligned with the way God has created your family to function, to created each individual with their gifts and how can you nurture those and, and be clear and take into account the love languages and the anxieties and all of the things that they need as well as your own needs and know that God already knew you don't, you weren't put with the wrong family. You weren't put with the wrong spouse. My husband and I have been married 10 years and, and we joke that we finally figured out that yes, we're polar opposites, but it's because we were designed to complement one another's giftings. If we thought the same, we would be lacking something, but because we think so differently, we can now build a shelf without wanting to kill each other. <laughs> Right. And, and there's humility in that. And then there's harmony. And those are the two principles, I think, in relationships, but also in our relationship with ourselves as we move through life. 
look for opportunities to demonstrate humility and surround yourself with people who can be humble and look for harmony. I, I gave up on a work-life balance a long time ago. I focus on harmony and, and the alignment of all the work that I do comes from that harmony. And I was extremely open when I was hired at the university about what my focus would be. I was very, very open to my loyalty, very open about my loyalty to the firm and my responsibility as a member of my household. And I was very clear that I had boundaries that my phone would be put in a drawer at a certain time, that I would be leaving the office at a certain time, that I would not be available for things that were outside of what I believed was my responsibility. Very clear. As a result, when I created the Brave Women Project, our chief human resources officer from the university was one of the first founding members. The owner of my firm was one of the first founding members. There's something unique and special and remarkable about significant leadership roles, being willing to support something that promotes bravery and vulnerability in women. And for these incredible female leaders to come together at the Brave Women Project and take off their title and sit at the table and we do something on one Wednesday a month called Come As You Are for members only, where we literally just do that. We come as we are, and, and take the burden off for that hour, place it on the table with everyone else's, support each other, encourage each other, laugh together, cry together, offer to make you know introductions to help with, with things, um, support each other. When we do this together, it's just women together for each other and with each other. And then an hour later, we go back and we're in our board meeting. We're back to work, we're back at it. There's something incredible that elevates business that elevates professionalism, that elevates everything that we do. When one ship rises, they all do, right? So it's, it, it is incredible to find harmony and humility. And um, it's incredible work that you're doing, Crystal, to, to bring people together to, to talk about these things and to, to create a space for your listeners to just think about things a little bit more deeply and, and potentially grow from these connections. It really does make a difference when leaders, when influencers, when people who feel as though they're just an ordinary person going through an ordinary life can, can say, whatever you think you see is not the whole picture. And, and that's really what your come as you are meeting is, is whatever you think you see, that's not the whole picture. And if we could own our whole picture, as much as we're able to see within ourselves and others are able to bring awareness to, it's, it's transformative. And so I know that there are folks out there that are resonating with the message that you've shared, with the mission that you have, with the type of women that you are describing and the type of lifestyle you are leading where it's like, look, I can be excellent in these areas with intentionality. How can they contact you? How can they find the Brave Women Project? Well, I think that's the easiest. And Crystal, thank you because you will be joining us at Brave Women Project doing one of our professional development sessions in February. Um, so the best way to find us is to just go online. The Brave Women Project is BWP dot life because we really are for the whole life of a woman we are not just for a season so bwp.life um would be a great place to start we're all over social media um if you if you want to dig a little bit more into some of the things i shared about you can visit my website um www.hollyjoy.info and um you can pick up a couple books there if you like um one of them is is uh, dear to my heart. I, I take my readers through building out their values and defining their boundaries. It's called For She Who Leads. It's practical wisdom from a woman who serves. I tell stories of some pretty incredible women and give um, really some, some tips to take you through things. And then I also have another really exciting book on there that will inspire many because it's 21 stories of 21 women who have done something remarkable in the year of 2020. Uh, the pandemic hit and these incredible women didn't stop. And so it's called 21, 21 stories of female entrepreneurs. And you can pick that up on my website too. Um, there, there's so much that is waiting for us. And if we have enough courage to do it together, 
you know, I, I do think that we women are going to change the world. And I'll end with one thing that just really um, I carry with me. I carry a lot of things. I carry big bags. Okay. One of the things I carry with me is something that Joan of Arc said. She said, act and God will act. And, and I, I rest in that a lot because it reminds me that I don't have to do everything. I do what I can do. And it, it will happen. I feel energized. I feel refreshed. I feel educated and equipped and just ready to take on the world. And that is the power of connecting with other brave women who are not afraid to own that they can love their family and love their giftings at the same time. So Holly, excellent um, listeners, you know, you, you want to connect at, with Holly Joy um, at her website or with the Brave Women Project all of that will be in the show notes for you to reference. So if you're driving, please do not stop. You can pause, you can rewind, you can do all of the things because I listen when I'm driving. <laughs> um, so you will be able to re, uh, revisit that information. But Holly, thank you so much for your time and energy today. Thanks so much. I'm glad I could be here. And Crystal, you're just doing great work. Thank you. Listeners, you know what to do. If you've enjoyed, please pass it on to a friend. Invite them to the conversation. We're glad you were here and we want to share the goodness. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining this Crystal Conversation, where stories of growth, resiliency, faith, and falling are authentically shared to encourage and equip you in your journey. If you've been inspired, please feel free to share the love and tell a friend about these crystal conversations. If you want more inspiring, growth-focused, and resiliency-related content, find the Crystal Conversations LLC page on Instagram and our Facebook page, or go to crystalmcfadden.com and subscribe for our newsletter and other content-related goodies.